Hey, if you've got a Bible, let's, let's go. Let's uh, get into the book of James. We are in our series called Relationship Killers. Uh, I hope this has been helpful for you. It's been incredibly just helpful for me. I've been preaching to myself, and my own words have been coming back to me. Anybody had that come up during the week? You're like, oh, dang, I just heard that last week. Uh, that's been happening to me. I'm like, oh, I just preached that. I can't talk like that. I can't act like that now. And I mean, just, just all the conviction uh, that's coming from it, good conviction from the Holy Spirit to help change us and transform us into the people of God that we're supposed to be. Uh, and so we're in the book of James, and in the series, it's a five-week series. I encourage you to be here for all five. On Mother's Day, Laura's going to be speaking, so that's pretty excited about her coming and speaking on Mother's Day. And, uh, but today, uh, I want us to look here at James chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, they're in the Next Steps room. You can get them. They're free. Uh, grab one. Or if you have a mobile device and you don't have a Bible on your phone yet, go to corechurch.com and download a Bible app there. I read out of the New Living Translation. You pick whatever version you want. That's just the one that I preach from. Uh, so if you're picking one on your mobile device, go to the NLT and you'll be able to follow along with what I'm uh, saying here in the Word. Now James, if you've been here for the series, I've talked about who James is, but if you're brand new and you haven't been a part of this series yet, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Man, that would just be, wow, that'd just be rough. But he grew up with Jesus as his brother, and at first he really didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But then after his death and resurrection, he came to believe in faith because he saw his brother come back to life. And James became a leader in the church, uh, an incredible, pivotal, important leader in the church. And this is one of his letters that we have that we have the opportunity to read from. So we're going to be in, in James chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1. And he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever its pilot chooses to go, And even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Again, he is not the Joel Olstein of his day. James, you do not read him for a pep talk. Okay? He is going to tell you how he feels. Could you imagine if James was your pastor? Man, it'd just be a rough Sunday. I will try to be kinder. Verse 7, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So blessing, cursing, they come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for giving us this gift of your word. Thanks for your brother who believed in you, and then you gave him this word for us today. And I ask it in this moment that we have, God, that you would speak to us. You have a word for us. I want you to pray for those around you with your head bowed. You don't have to pray out loud, but just um, pray for those around you that they would be open to what God once said and pray for yourself. Man, we all need to hear from God today. Just say, God, I, I need to hear from you. 
So help me to put off all the distractions for these next few minutes, Father, to hear from you. And just pray for me, too, as your pastor. Pray for me now. I ask for you to pray for me even as I'm, as I'm preaching this morning, that I would be faithful uh, to what God wants us to hear today. And, and if you're ready, if you're ready to hear from God's Word, in Jesus' name, give me a big amen. Okay. Relationship killer number three. Here we go. Words. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Today we're going to talk about the power of words. Listen, as a pastor, I understand the, the importance uh, of the words that I speak from this stage every single Sunday. In fact, James chapter 3 and verse 1 is directed at me. It's not directed at you. It's directed at me. And here's what James The brother of Jesus says to me as a pastor, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, pastors, teachers, leaders who are proclaiming the truth. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, there's a great recruitment speech for pastors, isn't it? Hey, want to go into full-time ministry? Congratulations, you're going to be judged more strictly than everyone else. But, But that is the truth. What I understand as a pastor is... I'm accountable to God for what I say from this stage. And I don't take that lightly. I mean, I make a lot of jokes. I goof around a lot on this stage, and we have a lot of fun. But everything I say and every way in which I approach this moment, I approach it with fear and trembling and great humility. Because I know the weight of my words. And I know I'm responsible for that. And I don't understand it all, but somehow, for some reason, God chose for men and women like myself to be His mouthpiece. That's a heavy responsibility. An incredible responsibility. In fact, most people don't know this, but I get very nervous before I come out and preach. I, my palms sweat. I'm, I'm backstage, and while you are all out here hearing from my wife, I'm backstage and I'm beginning to sweat. And, and, and then I'm getting onto my knees and I'm like, okay, God, here we go. Man, I just, and, and I, I blank out and I begin to forget everything I'm supposed to be saying because I, I want to do the right thing. Because I want my words, every word I speak, I know that people are looking at me as if God is speaking through me. And that is the responsibility that I carry. Not only that, the responsibility I have with God, but then I've got hundreds of people examining every word I say every week. I mean, come on, don't act like you don't do that. You don't get, that wasn't as funny as he was last week. He was a lot funnier last week. I don't think the scripture says that. I'm, you know, I mean, you got, I, I understand that. I mean, you could, I, I don't, I wouldn't have said it that way. I wouldn't have said that's kind of harsh. You know, I, you know what he needs to do? He needs to press in more. That's what he needs to do. I mean, I get it. I get it. Every word that I speak. And, and, and there's, there's a, there's a great weight to that. And there, and there's, there's just this, Thing where I'm like, man, I got, okay, so I have hundreds of people coming and then, and so I've got to be relevant. I, I've got to be funny, but not too funny. Be serious, Brad, but don't be too serious. Tell some funny jokes to make people laugh. And, and, and we need you to challenge us, but don't challenge us too much because then we might not come back next week. We need you to encourage us, but don't make it just all about encouragement, Brad. We need you to make sure you're in the truth and give the word, be of the word, but you know, we also need you to interpret the word. And, and I think he used too much scripture. He didn't use enough scripture. I mean, it is, Pressure, people. And not only that, when I finish this talk in the next hour and a half, (laughs) 
when I finish this talk in like the next 20 minutes, I'm going to be staring down another one in another seven days. Every seven days this rolls around. And i got to be ready. Because I know that there is a weight and there is a responsibility to what I say. I understand that being on this platform should not be taken for granted. And the words that I'm speaking have a weight and a responsibility to them. Here's what I'd like for you to do right now. I, I would just like for you just to, just for a moment, just to stop and to think about this past week and the words that you spoke. Think about the conversations that you've had this week, good, the good and the bad. Conversations that you had with coworkers, an interaction that you had with your boss, uh, maybe somebody in traffic convenience store with a friend. Maybe you were gathered with some friends. I want you to think back to a conversation that you had with some friends in the the past week. Uh, Your kids. You remember the conversations. Think for just a moment. The conversations that you had, had with your children. Kids, think about the conversation you had with your parents this week and even you as adults, just think about the conversation, if you had a conversation with your parents this week. Think about your spouse. Now, now what I want to ask you is this. If, imagine if, imagine if, I, if I brought you up here um, on this stage. Imagine if right in this moment I just brought you up here on this stage and I said, okay, all right, so now what we're going to do is we're going to replay those conversations on the big screen. I would think in that moment, about when that happens, you'd be like, hey, whoa, hey, I, I, I need to clarify something. Uh, let, me just, let me just set this next clip up for you, because um, you may misunderstand it. Uh, but listen, you weren't there. I, I mean, we'd all be like, whoa. But here's the thing we, we have to understand. We all have a personal platform, every one of us. You have a personal platform, and your words carry weight. And there's a great responsibility that we have for the words that we speak. So what I want to talk about for the next few minutes, a question I want us just to kind of wrestle with. If you're taking notes, you write this question down. We'll wrestle with it for a few minutes here, and you can take it home with you. But here's the question. Are my words building up or breaking down my relationships? Are my words building up or are they breaking down my relationships? James in chapter 3 says we are all responsible and accountable for what we say. Not not just pastors and teachers. Look at verse 2. He says, indeed, what? We all. Let's say that together. We all. Turn to the person next to you and say, that means you. We all. Make mistakes. Turn to the person next to you and say, I make some mistakes. Some of you right now, hallelujah, finally admitted it. Praise the Lord. He does that. He's the God who answers prayer. I saw a miracle today in church. We all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We are all 
accountable. And then James goes on to give us this picture of how powerful our words are. I, I won't read it, but look at verses 3 through 5. Just kind of look at that in the, in the text there. He says our words are incredibly powerful. He uses these word pictures of a horse with a bit, and you put this tiny bit in a large horse's mouth, you can make it go wherever you want. He says this tiny little rudder on the back of a huge ocean liner, doesn't matter what the winds are doing, can turn that huge ship. He says that there's a spark, just a small little spark can set a forest on fire. James is saying here that the words that we speak may seem small and insignificant, but they are incredibly powerful. In the Proverbs that the King Solomon wrote, King Solomon said this in chapter 18, verse 21. He said, the tongue can bring life or death. The tongue can bring life or death. I, I, I saw this study by a doctor named John uh, Gottman. You can Google this guy, John Gottman. G-O-T-T-M-A-N-N. It's an incredible study that he did in the early 90s. He brought a bunch of um, newlyweds together, and he had them interact with one another for about 15 minutes. And, and he, based on this little 15-minute interaction that they had as newlyweds, he could predict whether they were going to stay married or whether they were going to get divorced by a 15-minute interaction. Ten years later, he brought these couples back, and he had proven this within a 94% accuracy rate. A 15-minute interaction, and he said, they're going to get divorced. They're going to stay married. And he was accurate to 94% of the couples. So what was it? What was it that in that 15-minute interaction that caused him to know whether they were going to stay married or they were going to get divorced? It was whether they were positive or they were negative interactions. And he said those couples that were one-to-one, a positive for a negative, a positive for a negative, a positive for a negative, he said 94% of those couples, almost every single one of those couples within 10 years were divorced. But he said this, he said that the key to staying married, and what he found is 100% of the couples stayed married when it was a 5-to-1 ratio. A 5-to-1 ratio. In other words, five positive interactions for one negative interaction. That's crazy. Why is that? Why is it that negativity and the negative words and hurtful words, hateful words, discouraging words, why are they so powerful? I think James gives us an answer here. Verse 7, he says this in verse 7, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless. It is evil. It is what? Full of what? Deadly poison. Deadly poison. Think of it like this. If I were to hold up a teaspoon of poison and a teaspoon of medication, we, we all know the damage that just a teaspoon of poison could do in a person's life. And we know that a teaspoon of medication isn't going to overcome just that teaspoon of poison. Our words are incredibly powerful. They're powerful to the people around us. And we've got to think through the words that we're speaking and how we're saying it. So I want you again to think back. Think back to the words that you spoke this, this past week. Think back to that. Was those words that, with your kids and your, your spouse in the, those moments, what, 
was there a, was there a, a teaspoon of poison that you fed to your children? Is there a teaspoon of poison that you gave to your parents, to your spouse, to your coworkers? How, how many how many teaspoons of medication did you hand out this week? How much healing did you bring to the human soul? The one thing I, I know as a pastor that I have seen for years and years and years that just never changes is that um, everyone is wounded. This world is a very, very cruel, cruel place. And it will beat you into submission. And the last thing we need is for us as followers of Jesus to pile on with that. The world just wants to give us poison after poison after poison. And what we have to ask ourselves is the words that I'm speaking over everybody. We, as a follower of Jesus, I am called into this world to make the world a better place. That's why I'm here. I'm here to have an interaction to make somebody's life a little bit better. And so my words should always offer healing, not hurt, healing and hope. So am I doing that? Ephesians 4.29, the Apostle Paul, who started so many churches around the world, he said this to the church in Ephesus. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And what, what if we made that our mantra? What if we made that our calling card? Can we just be honest, though? That, that's really great in, in the Word of God, but to practically live that out, how do I do that? I'm going to talk about that here in just a few minutes, because I think there's not a person here unless you're just absolutely twisted around. But I would say 99.9% of us here, we want that to be our story. That's the person I want to be. But am I that person? Are the words I'm speaking bringing healing and hope? Or is the words I'm speaking hurtful and hateful? Let me give you just some practical examples on that. I I, I just say this. Um, I've been alive long enough to know this about you ladies. There's one phrase that you really want to hear. You really, really love to hear this phrase. And I tested it out this morning on my wife. I told her, I told her, I said, wait, I need to test something out here. And, and so I tested this out on my wife this morning. And I'm telling you, ladies, when you hear this, you just get like... <sighs> Here it is. Man, get a pen, write this down. I'm going to give you time. Men, get a pen, write this down. Okay, some of you are not, okay, I can't help you then. I can't help you. I'll see you in counseling on Tuesday, okay? Um, here it is. This is a phrase that every little girl wants to hear this, every daughter wants to hear this, every wife, every woman wants to hear this. You're beautiful. You know why they want to hear that? Because women feel like they don't measure up. Because everywhere in culture, every magazine, every TV ad, every movie, they're looking up on the screen, they're looking at the picture, they're hearing the messages, and then they're looking in the mirror, and they're like, I'm not that, and I'm not beautiful. And, man, you may go, well, my wife knows she's beautiful. I mean, I'm 
you need to speak that. You need to speak that over your daughters from the youngest age to the oldest age because they're going into the schools and they're hearing that they're ugly. They're hearing that they're goofy. They're hearing that they don't walk right, that their hair looks wrong, that the outfit doesn't match. And men, we have a responsibility, and you need to say this over and over and over to your wives, to the women in your life, you're beautiful. Where does that phrase come from? It comes from God. God is the one who speaks that over you, ladies. God says that about you. You're beautiful. So men, when we say that to the women in our lives, from the youngest to the oldest, to your mom, to your daughter, to your wife, when you speak those words, you're you're literally speaking the words of God over your wife and your daughter. How about men? I've been alive long enough, and I'm a man. And I know that there is a phrase that every man wants to hear. And men, when we hear this phrase, we don't go, (laughs) we don't do that. Here's what we do. That's right. We just do, man. We just do. I'm telling you. Wives, daughters, try this on. Uh, say this to your dad today. Say this to your, your husband. And, if you, and, and I'm telling you, ladies, you go, oh, he knows this. No, he doesn't know this phrase. He needs to hear this from you, okay? Because the world is coming and telling him something else. And here's the phrase. You ready for the phrase? Ladies, you need to get a pen. You need to write this down. You're not getting off the hook either, okay? You ready? Here it is. I believe in you. I believe in you. How do I know that to be true? Because, you know, just being transparent, you know the first person that I go to that I want to hear from after I get off the stage and I preach? Do you know who that is? It's that beautiful lady right over there. I want to know what she thought. Praise God she doesn't always tell me what she thinks. But I know many times in my life where I thought, I just don't think I can go on. I don't think I can take another step. Or I feel like I'm not measuring up. You know what? I'm not as good as that preacher. I'm not that guy. And I heard this guy preaching. He was really good. And man, Laura's been on a T.D. Jakes kick for a while. He must, she must think he's a better preacher than me because she never listens to my podcast. And, and, you know, just on and on and on. Man, I mean, I remember when I was in the radio industry. Oh, there's this guy. He's better. He's funnier. He's more entertaining. He can do that. More listeners over here. More person there. And the media and everything, ladies, is telling men and telling your boys they don't measure up. They're watching television. They're seeing the athletes. They're going to the high school. They didn't make the team. Everybody else made the team. And we're putting all this pressure on them to succeed and do all of these things. And the culture's coming at them, coming at the men every day. Men, you know this. You know this is true. You know I'm speaking truth. You're going to go to the workplace tomorrow and you're going to get beat up because you don't measure up. And the one place you want to know and you want to hear is from your wife and those you love. Daughters. Sons, you can say that to your father. You know what, Dad? I believe in you. Watch what that does. It's amazing. Another area that we can do it is prayer. Praying for one another. You know, Pastor, I don't pray. I just, I don't really, I'm not good at it. I don't know how to pray. That's a cop-out. You need to stop that. God does not speak that over you. If you find yourself saying, I don't know how to pray, I can tell you that does not come from God above. God is not the one who says, hang on a second, you're not qualified. Step aside. 
I'll go get Brad. Do you know why I know that works? Anytime I'm in an, any crowd anywhere and we've got to pray for the food, everybody's eyes on me. Like i got some kind of special food anointing or something. So if you ask me to pray, by the way, sidestep here, you ask me to pray over a meal, here's how my meal prayer goes. God, thank you for this food in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's my, that's my meal prayer. Uh, but I'm just telling you, uh, you've got to learn to pray for people. Here's what I mean by that. When somebody comes to you and they're struggling and they're having a difficulty or things aren't, aren't going right in their life, whether they're a family member or a non-family member, if it's your kid, man, here's I challenge every person in here to pray for your parents. Pray for them. Hey, Dad, can I pray for you? Hey, Mom, can I pray for you? Man, I would just rock them if you did that. And you think, what's, what's that? If you're a teenager here today, I challenge you this week to go to your mom or your dad and say, can I pray for you? Man, you want to talk about having special privileges for the rest of your life. That's going to carry you a long way. You can manipulate it if you want. That's fine. But when somebody is in a difficult season or a difficult trial or, or something's going on, the, the worst thing we can say to them, and, and understand me on this, is say this, hey, I'll be praying for you. Hey, I'm, I'm going to be praying for you. You know why it's the worst thing we say? Because we forget. Next time we see him, we're like, oh, God, can you pray for him? God, help him right now. Hey, I've been praying for you. We need to stop in that moment. But, Pastor, I mean, it's uncomfortable. People are around. So what? So what? Here's what happens when you stop and you pray for somebody. Don't just leave it to the professionals. Every single one of us needs to learn to pray for one another. And it doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out prayer. Oh, man, Lord, those kill me, okay? I'm, I start, when people start praying for me and they're praying long prayers, okay? Larkin vouchers, I mean, long, just going on and on. I start praying against you. God, help me wrap it up. God, help me wrap it up. I appreciate it, God, but help me wrap it up. Okay, I mean, you keep it short. We feel like it has to be a long prayer to be effective. No, it doesn't. Just God bring healing to them. God help them in this situation. Let them know that you're with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Simple as that. We need to start practicing that. We need to start doing that. We need to be that kind of church body. We need to be that kind of people. Because here's what happens. It's one thing to encourage people with your words, but when you pray, you're bringing the Spirit of God and you're interceding and God's Spirit touches their spirit. You become like, listen, here's how it works. You grab their hand and you grab a hold of God's hand and you become this conduit and you bring them together through the power of prayer. So that's what we got to do for one another. So we need to stop saying, I don't know how to pray. Ask God and just start. How many of you know how to talk? Raise your hand. You know how to talk. Then you know how to pray. Okay? Congratulations. So are my words, are they, are they building up or are they breaking down my relationships? Let's look at verse 9. Sometimes it, being the tongue, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. You know this just happened this morning. Y'all were on the way to church like, oh, I'm just going to trust you. What are you doing? I can't believe you're <gasps> Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Gonna get out of here, get back in the car. I just told you. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. So, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this isn't right. Here's what you need to understand. 
Your words are not neutral. Your words are not neutral. Your words are either blessing or they're cursing. Let me give you an, an example of this, okay? My son Jeremiah, um, most of you know my two youngest are adopted. And my son Jeremiah, he's on Twitter. And how many are on Twitter? Anybody on Twitter? Uh, like five of us, okay? Um, rest of you, it's 2015. Get a Twitter account. Okay, so um, I'm kidding. So he's on, he's on Twitter, and he, one of his peers from school sends out a, what they call a tweet, if you're not uh, a Twitter person. Uh, and he sends out this tweet, and, it's, uh, and it, it's talking about abortion. And it's talking in favor of abortion. Now, I want you to put your, your feelings of abortion aside for just a moment, okay? But I want you to see this is, this is the tweet that was sent out by somebody that he saw. And they said this, in favor of abortion. Do you, do you want an abortion or do you want to die? Do you want an abortion or do you want to watch your baby die after a week? Do you want an abortion or do you want your life to fall apart around you because of a child you're either unable or unfit to support? Do you want to give up a fetus or a living, breathing baby? Now keep in mind, my son is adopted. And so this was his response on Twitter. I was adopted because my parents couldn't take care of me. I can't even describe how I feel seeing this, knowing there's people out there who don't think a fetus is a living being. Leave the science to it out of it because I was once a fetus and I was adopted by my parents who love me unconditionally. Nine months is worth 17 years of my life on this planet. Thank you, Mom and Dad, and thank you, my birth parents as well, for giving me a chance at living. Now... So he is, so he's in class a couple of days later, and, and somebody over here in the class, another one of his peers, I guess had seen that tweet, and that's my understanding of it, and, and, and they started talking about this in class about abortion and, and basically said the same things about it. And that my son said, hey, you know, I appreciate that you're saying that, but I'm really glad that my parents didn't make that decision, kind of saying that, um, because uh, if they... I, he said this to this guy next to him. He said, I, I was once a fetus, and I'm just glad that my parents didn't do that. And there was a boy in the back of the room uh, who said, uh, hey, I'm adopted too. I'm with him. Now, my point on this is not abortion. So if you're getting on the abortion kick, you need to get off that high horse right now, okay? You get off that horse. My point on this is the power of words. We don't think about what we're saying. We just spout off at the mouth at, at how we feel and, and my stance and what I believe. And we don't think about living, breathing human beings who have feelings and emotions attached to them. Man, as Christ followers, sometimes we're the worst at it. Somebody doesn't have the same political views as me. Oh man, I'm. You're over here. You're oh, you're over here. Well, you're going to. You're just. You're just. Oh, you're worshiping Satan. That's what you're doing right now by following that man. Somebody. Somebody's from a different religion. We pop off, make some kind of comments against another religion in a hateful way. That's not who Jesus was. 
Somebody has a different sexual preference than us. Gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender. By the way, we've had them all in this church, and we have some of them in this church right now. And we pop off and we make some kind of comment. You know, you might be right. You might be right in what you're saying, but there's this word that we forget, and it's this word love. We forget love and loving people. So, Jesus, in Matthew 9, I won't go there because I don't have time, but Matthew chapter 9 This happened. The religious people, the church leaders of that day, saw Jesus eating with the sinners of that day. And many scholars and theologians believe that at that point he was eating with prostitutes and just the outcasts and the people that the church didn't want to associate with that felt like they were of the wrong persuasion or doing the wrong things or whatever it is they were doing. And one of the Pharisees pops off and he says, Hey, why is is your leader, why is Jesus eating with such scum? How many times do we say that about somebody who has a different viewpoint than we do? This is not about me saying, hey, they're right. They might be very much in the wrong. I believe Christianity is the way. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But you know what? When I play basketball with a Muslim minister, it gets a little complicated. The things you might say on Twitter, the things you might put up on your Facebook page, the articles you might link to, you need to unlink from. Because we are not spreaders of hate. We're spreaders of love, of the gospel, of showing people a true picture of who Jesus is and inviting them to the cross. So let me wrap this. How do we, how do we change the words that we're speaking? How do, we, how do we do that? Because we're talking about this idea of speaking over those that we love and and how do you do that? How, how do we change our words so they're build up instead of a breaking down? I, look at verse 11 and 12. James says, Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a, a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. Here's the thing. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Here, here's what James is saying. It's not about changing your vocabulary. If you think I'm just going to change my vocabulary, you're, you're going to miss it because it, it's, it's much deeper than that. I, I saw a story this a couple of weeks ago about these researchers and these scientists, and they were looking for uh, fresh water springs, and they had been digging in, in several countries around the world, and, and the water sources are kind of drying up, and they're trying to figure out new water resources. And of all things, they began to dig out into the ocean just offshore in salt water. And what they found is when they dug deep down below the ocean surface, below the ocean surface, they found springs of clean water below the ocean. And they were trying to figure out why did this happen. Well, basically what had happened is over several thousand years, the water, the ocean's levels have risen and covered over what were fresh springs. Now, that's exactly what happens with our words. Exactly what happens, okay? Your words are salty. Your, your words are bitter. And the more that we speak those out, the more they cover over the fresh water. The more they cover over the fresh words. The more they cover over the, per, the person that we are in Jesus. Our soul, deep inside, goes so deep of who we are in Jesus. And these words that we speak are bitter and salty and they begin to cover over who God is in our lives. And what we've got to start doing is digging deep below the surface. 
Because what we usually do is just speak the first thing on our mind. And if you speak the first thing on your mind, it's always going to be bitter and salty. You've got to dig deep below the surface. You've got to dig deep down into the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to tap into the Spirit. Not your words, His words. If you're a follower of Jesus, congratulations, you have the Spirit of God in you. You can tap into that resource. But what you've got to do is when you go to speak, you've got to stop. God is, what I'm about to say, salty and bitter? Or is it fresh and life-giving? God, help my words in this moment to be fresh and life-giving. Got to tap into the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for you. God, in this moment, thank you so much for your word and for the hope we have in you. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to talk to you for just a moment. You're a follower of Jesus. But your words have been off. And you say, Brad, I need to tap into the Holy Spirit. I Today, I need to tap into that. I need to stop these salty and bitter words. And I need to go deep and I need Him to penetrate my soul right now. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can give fresh, life-giving water to those around me. If that's you, would you lift your hand just so I know how to pray for you today? Okay, see here in the front, over on the sides, in the back, hands everywhere. God, for those who have their hands raised in this moment, God, fill them right now as they dig deep. Fill them with fresh, life-giving words. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Root out, God, selfishness. Root out our sin nature. Fill them completely full right now as they surrender to your Holy Spirit. Help them, God. Put your heads down. Maybe you're here today, all heads bowed, and you're not a follower of Jesus. I want to invite you into a relationship with Him now. Jesus is the Son of God. And He came and He died to set you free. And the only way you're going to have life-giving words is if you fully surrender to Him. If you, if you take yourself, put it on the altar, and invite Jesus into your life. It's just, just praying a prayer like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know what my words have done. I know the life I've been living. But God, I want to turn from my sin. I want to follow You. Would You forgive me today? Forgive me of my sin and make me into something new. I don't understand everything about your Holy Spirit, but God, if I can have that gift today, would you give me the gift of your Holy Spirit? Fill me right now with your Spirit and change me into a new person. God, thank you for the hope of heaven and thank you for life here on this earth. If you prayed that prayer today, I won't embarrass you. I just want to know who you are. Would you, would you just slip up your hand? Anybody today? Say, man, I prayed that prayer to give my life to Jesus today. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Put your hand down. Anybody else? I prayed that prayer to give my life to Jesus today. Can we celebrate New Life Church in Jesus' name? Can we give a big hand clap for those who made a commitment to follow Jesus? Amen. Man.